Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jeff M. I feel like I should be running for office after that introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive above reader, 100 pounder. Uh, I'm going to pass around pictures. For those of you listening on the podcast, it's not going to be of any help to you. But uh, there's a lot of embarrassing photos here, uh, uh, many of them uh, showing my journey through my disease. Uh, and I have a disease. I have a raving, horrible, terrible disease of compulsive above reading. Uh, the book tells me that I, need, I should qualify so that you'll believe that I actually am a compulsive overeater. Um, and uh, I, I like to say I used to joke that I was fat before I knew what food was <laughs> because both my parents were compulsive overeaters, my mother in particular. Uh, and uh, I was really, I was fat before I knew what food was. I, as the pictures will illustrate, I was uh, chubby as a youngster, uh, not in my mind, but in actuality. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, fat most of my uh, life, most of my, ch- uh, my entire childhood, most of my young adulthood, most of my adulthood. I had periods of brief recovery. Uh, as the book will tell you that uh, many people do, uh, but followed always by a still worse relapse. And that was, in fact, my experience. And I come from it naturally. When, I, when my family went out to dinner, we would sit down at the, uh, at the restaurant and we would order either a pizza or four hot dogs as an appetizer, and then we'd look at the menu. So this is a true story. Volume, volume was our watchword. We were... You know, and then crap also. Not just a lot of food but really bad food and in my disease I wouldn't go for the fancy you know uh, pastries and chocolates I would go for the stuff that came in plastic wrappers that you could buy at a convenience store uh, and I would have a route of convenience stores that I would hit on my way home from any given place and I would escape a lot to eat and even now in recovery if I'm at a baseball game or a movie and I need to go to the restroom I go out and I kind of sneak around and, you know, because like where's the food oh I don't do that anymore and I don't need to do that anymore uh, but growing up fat is a hell unto itself. If you haven't experienced it, I congratulate you that you didn't have to go through it. If you have, you don't need me to remind you uh, how terrible it is. But uh, fat is the last socially acceptable prejudice. Uh, and I grew up uh, when things were not so politically correct. So the, the mockery and the, the making fun and, the, and, and, and all of that that went with it was not only condoned by adults, but sometimes led by the adults. I had a seventh grade Spanish teacher who used to call me cheeks because I had rather large ones. And it was allowed in the class that anyone, this is in seventh grade, so what was I, 12 or 13? Anyone in class could sneak up behind me and make a cheek attack and come and grab me by the cheek and shake it. And that was seen as, as funny. Now, I've learned in my recovery, and we'll get there in a minute, that he was just doing the best he could to get through teaching 40 unruly people Spanish that didn't want to know it. But 
he still condoned this behavior, and that is, in fact, unacceptable. And it was not very pleasant for me, uh, I will say that. Uh, one last compulsive eating story uh, before I talk about the real stuff. Uh, you know, in my, I would do a lot of my compulsive eating in my car. We live in California. We're always in our cars. And so I did a lot of compulsive eating in my car. And one of my uh, you know, binges of choice were these powdered, little miniature powdered donuts that come in a bag. They also come in a sleeve, but that wasn't nearly enough. <laughs> so I would go buy two bags of these powdered donuts, uh, you know, sugar, the white powder, and I would put them in my car with a Diet Coke. And, uh, and I would start to eat them. And, of course, you know, I was typically wearing black because that's what people who weigh 300... Oh, I should qualify, shouldn't I? Uh, I well, my high weight is 335. I've been absent for four years and a month. And I have lost 113 or 114 pounds. Uh, so when you weigh north of 300 pounds, black is your favorite color, or lack thereof color. Anyway, uh, so uh, I wore a lot of black, and I have this white powder getting all over my black, whatever it was that I was wearing, and, uh, and, I, and I, it didn't stop me, and I would eat them until I got to the last two or three. And then I would look down at the bag and say, oh, my God, I can't eat a whole bag of donuts. So I'd take the last one or two or three donuts, and I would fling them out the window like a Frisbee. Uh, I, hope, I hope no one was driving behind me on the freeway because, you know, I can't imagine what the people behind me would think when they would see these donuts go flying out of the car. And then I'd open the second bag. So th that's how much I was lying to myself because I did eat a whole bag, but then I just start on the second. And by the time I was done, I had literally a lead brick of donut in my stomach uh, and, uh, and, a, and a, a good case of acid reflux. But that didn't stop me from stopping at the next 7-Eleven and repeating the process. Uh, which brings me to, you know, to what I think is one of the most important and sometimes overlooked uh, pieces of uh, information in the program, which is the doctor's opinion in the big book, uh, which is on a Roman numeral page, which means no one ever reads it because they go right to page one, because we can't wait, we're compulsive, we need to get the information now. We can't read the Roman numeral stuff, and I didn't, so I, it was a surprise to me the first time I read it. But when I read the doctor's opinion, it told me that I have an allergy of the body. My allergy isn't that I break out in hives, or isn't that I break into sweats, it's that I want more. I can't eat sugar and many other things, but most, you know, but sugar for the most part, without wanting more. No matter how much I've eaten, if I eat some, I want more. And I also have an obsession of the mind. And an obsession of the mind creates a singular thought, and that is, I have to eat. I have to eat, because I was taught as a child that food was the salve for the soul. And I wasn't taught by words, I was taught by modeling. And my parents modeled that if you felt it bad, you ate food. And so I did. Uh, and so, uh, so food being that uh, for the soul, uh, my mind said, that's how you fix things. And, and I, so I have an obsession. I have to eat. 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 And I can't stop it. And soon it becomes a singular thought to the point where it blocks out all other thoughts. It blocks out that I have sleep apnea, that I weigh north of 300 pounds, that I have to shop at a big man's store. And by the way, I shopped at a store 
uh, in New York, I grew up in New York, it was called the He-Man shop. And there wasn't a He-Man within a hundred miles of this place. Uh, and the clothes were awful. They've done a lot better job of making triple and quadruple and quintuple X clothing that actually looks like real people might wear them. In those days, it was just awful. And then to salve my soul from having to shop in the big man store, I'd walk across the street and get a couple pieces of pizza. Now, if that isn't cunning, baffling, powerful illness, illness, I don't know what is. So I have this obsession of the mind, and I have this allergy of the body, and, I, and it acts like an electric eye. You, you ever drive through a, a, a garage do, a gate that's starting to close, and as you go in, it pierces that electric eye and it opens up again? Well, it's like, it's a mirror and a light. That's all it is. And so that was what my disease was. It was a mirror and a light just reflecting. The light would reflect into the mirror. It would reflect back to the light. And it just became one big cycle. And I could not do anything about it. And I was spiritually and... Well, I was spiritually not even on the, you know, on the chart. I didn't even think about spirituality. But I was spiritually, morally, financially personally bankrupt. I weighed well over 300 pounds and I was a heart attack waiting to happen. And I said, what am I going to do? And I was going to get the gastric bypass surgery. Now, if anyone has gotten any of those you know, surgeries, more power to you. If it works for you, God bless you. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. But for me, it didn't see, uh, yeah, I was very scared of it because it's irreversible. When they do that, it, there's no going back. And so I went to the information sessions and they showed me the amount of food that I could eat, which I could put, you know, in a, you know, a little you know, one-ounce cup, more or less. And I realized that if that's all I ate over the course of a day, I would be, you know, I can't, I'm not supposed to curse to here, right? I would be blank, blank crazy. I would be absolutely a lunatic just eating this food. But I said, well, you know, I have no other choice. I, I'm, at, I, I'm past the last house on the block. I can't do this anymore. So I went to see the, uh, the physician for the last step of this process, or at least that I thought was the last step. And he said to me, well, you go see my therapist. She'll tell me you're fine, and then we'll do the surgery. Exactly. Someone had a, a quizzical look on their face. Tell me you're fine. That is not... That is, I want to find out if I'm fine. Am I fine? Can I do this? Because I knew that I was going to be crazy if that's all I had to eat. So I went and found a therapist who I had known from some earlier forays into the program, which were visits uh, that never took. And I looked him up and I said, I want to talk to you about this. And I'll, I'll come, yeah, I've got good insurance. I'll come pay you to, uh, to have a session. He said, no. So what do you mean, no? And he said, no, I'll, I'll, let's go meet and have coffee. And we'll talk as long as you want. I have three hours on Wednesday. And I said, wait, you'll do for me for free what you won't take money for. And he said, yeah. Exactly. I'll do for, I'll, I'll let's go. So we met, it was just actually right up the street from here, and we talked about it, and he said, look, you're nuts. You're, 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 you know, you're crazy. Um, and you're going to need the program, and you can go get the surgery and find the program, or you can find the program and see if you need the surgery. And so the following Sunday, this was on a Wednesday, the following Sunday, because July 4th was Saturday, and nobody starts on July 4th. <laughs> and certainly I wasn't, because my father called my mother forever tomorrow, because she was always going to start tomorrow. Always going to start tomorrow. And I inherited that disease. I was always going to start tomorrow. And so I was going to start July 5th, because that seemed like a good day. Now, I've had a lot of other good days that seemed to start, and those days lasted 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days or 10 weeks. 
but I was still going to do that. I now learned that I got, what I want to do, I have to do now. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Anyway, I went to a meeting. I said, let's try it. So we'll get back to that in a minute, too. The, doc said, the doctor's opinion tells me I have this obsession and this, and this allergy. And there's only one thing that can stop it. And that's a higher power. Well, I'm a deli Jew. Okay? I can tell you where every deli is. I can tell you the difference between a knish and a bagel. Right? But I cannot tell you what Jews think about God. Cannot do it. You could put a gun to my head right now. I still couldn't do it. And I'm not sure I'm interested in knowing at the moment. But uh, I couldn't do it. So I said, you know, a higher power. I don't, you know, I mean, I was an agnostic because I was hedging my bet. You know, just in case there was a God, I didn't want to piss him off too much. Uh, and so I, uh, and, and many of you in this room have heard the story, but I went down to the ocean to contemplate all this because we live close to the ocean. And I'm sitting there in, uh, you know, on, on uh, July 8th or whatever it was, 7th, and saying, what am I going to do? And the waves are getting closer and it's getting cooler because the night is falling. And I said, waves stop and let's not get any darker because I don't have a jacket. <laughs> and uh, and the waves kept coming and it got darker. I said, no, no, no. I said, waves, stop, stop. Don't come closer. No more breaking. That's too noisy. And it didn't stop. And I went, wow. Oh, I guess there is something greater than me out there because I managed the universe, but apparently I couldn't manage the waves. So I had to say, okay, I, I get it. So the answer has to come from a higher power. Now, when you're, when you're that low, everything is a higher power. Because I was deflated. But that's a necessary thing. The doctor's opinion also tells me, by the way, that I, uh, I cannot tell the truth from a lie. And I could not tell the truth from a lie. First of all, I was a really good liar. I was a really good liar. Because if reality wasn't what I wanted it to be, I would just make up what I wanted it to be and pretend that's what it was. It was acting as if in a very unhelpful way. Uh, and, uh, and I lied to myself, like with the donuts. I can't eat a whole bag, so I'll throw three out the window and start the second. Well, I mean, do the math, guys. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. Uh, so... It, and and the literature and 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 my what I've learned in this program is that to to even start the program we have to come from a, a place of complete deflation and surrender. And I was there. I really was there. I, I mean, I I had I have tried every diet in the book. Uh, Atkins, Spillman, OptiFast, which was really awful protein powder, terrible. Weight Watchers, uh, doctors, I got more doctors than I know what to do with in here. Uh, SlimFast, Jenny Craig, Gene Roth, Dr. New York, Fit for Life, Beverly Hills Diet, uh, Dexatrim, uh, my own diet several times, uh, the Zone uh, Frozen Yogurt Diet, that one was fun, the Beverly Hills Diet, <laughs> Hypnosis, Amphetamines. When I was 12 years old, my parents got me amphetamines. Only later when I was doing drugs uh, recreationally and owned the physician's desk reference did I find out that what they were feeding me were amphetamines. Uh, grapefruit diet, pineapple diet, not as much fun as the yogurt diet. Uh, 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 Nutrisystems, uh, therapists, Herbalife, AIDS, AIDS, what a terrible name for diet product. Uh, 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 people would bribe me, my uncle would bribe me with money. 
to lose weight. A dollar a pound, five dollars a pound, ten dollars a pound. Uh, Pritikin, uh, yes, I, I, they, they, uh, uh, Richard Simmons had something. Uh, nutritionists, uh, you know, books. I mean, I have more diet books than I could possibly, you know, know what to do with. And none of them worked. And I've seen more quack doctors that, you know, I mean, you know, Donald Buck and I have a lot of There's quacks out there, I mean, just crazy people. And I still couldn't stop eating. And I still couldn't stop eating. I was working in an office that had four people in it and six bowls of candy. Uh, I was the only one who ate the candy. They had to refill them every day. And I could not stop. And every day I would walk in, I would say, today is going to be the day I'm not going to eat the candy. And sometimes I'd last till 10 o'clock and sometimes till 11, occasionally till noon. But by 2.30, I was in the candy. And once I was in, forget it. Because I can't stop from starting and I can't stop once I've started. So I am completely deflated. And so uh, the, uh, Bill Wilson said it uh, best, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. And that's where I was. But willingness, and so now I have willingness. I have willingness. But willingness without action is fantasy. And fantasy is just another way that I avoid reality. So I've got to do something. I've got to believe that there's a power greater than myself and I've got to take the steps. And the first step is we were admitted we were powerless over food. So our lives have become unmanageable. Now the dictionary definition of the word admit is to come to the truth with reluctance. No one wants to admit that they're bodily and mentally different from their fellows. No one. Excuse me, that's me ringing. <laughs> I didn't listen to Mickey when he said, turn off your cell phone. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I had to come to that truth with reluctance. No one that I know of ever skips in this room. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, let's you know, change my life and rearrange my entire manner of thinking. Uh, you know, I, it just doesn't happen. You have to be deflated. Uh, I also heard someone once say that if you're having trouble with step one, uh, you might want to try flipping it. Uh, my, uh, I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable because that was true for me as well I was completely powerless over food and my life had become unmanageable unemployable uh, you know, angry, nasty terrible, a terrible person to be around uh, fat, smelly uh, and uh, sick in many ways uh, sounds delightful doesn't it? <laughs> you want to hang out with me then didn't you? yeah uh, so uh, my life was unmanageable. I was lying to myself. I just couldn't do anything. So I, I had to admit that I was powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable. Powerless over life and my food has become unmanageable. They both, it, it works both ways. Came to believe, we've already talked about the fact that I was a Delhi Jew, so I don't have a real spiritual program. But the book tells me I don't need a spiritual program. The book tells me I need to believe that there is a power greater than myself at work in this world. That's all I need to do. That's all I need to start. And I did. And I created a higher power of my own design. Now, when I say that, it sounds like I'm back in that fantasy world. But nobody can... You know, faith is belief without rigorous proof. I want rigorous proof. I want rigorous proof about everything. By trade, I'm a game show producer. Uh, you, you give me a, a question, I want two verifiable sources, no Wikipedia. I want real sources. I want you to, to, I want to know this is the truth. 
This is a verifiable fact. But they, when you have faith, there isn't any verification. There's, I don't know of anyone that can tell me what God is. They can tell me what their God is, but they can't tell me for a fact what God is. So I then have the ability to say, okay, what is God? Now, I, I, I call God He, I personify it, but I, uh, there's, no, there's no real personality to my God. It's a higher power it's, uh, who does not have a checklist, who is not going to send me to hell, who is not going to punish me for doing anything wrong, because I punish myself better than anybody could ever punish me. I, I, yeah, so what, what are you God punishing me for? And we talk about the grace of God, and I have received the grace of God. Grace means the unmerited love. Unmerited. And I was completely unmeritorious when I walked through these doors. I did not deserve your love or God's love, but yet you both gave it to me. So, I can't control almost anything. Your opinion of me being tops among the list which I always wanted to control. And so, there's something out there that's a power greater than me. And that's all I needed to, to do. Step three, I can't, can God? That was the question I went. I can't do any of this. Can God? And it's been proven to me in, in, in both my, the, my study of the program, and I, I must admit that I'm a, uh, you know, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an information junkie, I've read a lot of you know, non-program books, I've read pretty much every AA and OA approved program book. Uh, I, I was really searching for the answers. Uh, and, and what is God? How does, it, how does it work operationally? And I've come to find out. Uh, so now, I've admitted I'm powerless, I came to believe this is a power greater than me, and I've asked God to, I've given control of my will and my life over to this God of my sort of understanding of the God that I've created. What do I do? Uh, there needs to be a practical application of these steps. So I'm, so I'm at step three. And obviously there's, there's, uh, there's nine more steps. But I think, you know, for my journey, the first three steps were what I, what I really needed to make a go of the program. Now what do I do? Okay? And I did all of the other things. I made the searching of fearless moral inventory because I am a liar and a cheater and a thief. Because reality wasn't good for me, so I made my own reality. If I couldn't afford it, I tried to steal it. Or I tried to talk somebody into getting it for me. If I couldn't, you know, if, if somebody said something to me that wasn't what I wanted to hear, I would just pretend that I didn't hear it or change, you know, what they said when I talked to the next person. I, you know, it didn't matter. Okay, so I had literally, you know, pages and pages and pages of resentments and of amends that I needed to make. And I told my sponsor about them. And I have to tell you that at the end of step five, I didn't just go gleefully dancing off into the night because I knew step eight and nine laid ahead uh, and there would be hell to pay, or, or maybe not. And actually it wasn't so hellish. Entirely ready to have God remove the defects of character? Well... You know, some of them were fun, and, and I wasn't sure I wanted to give them up, but I have to, because if I don't, I will eat again, because if I behave the way I behave, food will always be the only answer. And if I was so freaking smart, why was I praying to a bag of donuts? Okay? I mean, you know, I, you know, sometimes being too smart, and I'm not suggesting I'm all that bright, but sometimes being too smart is worse than not being smart enough because, you know, we question everything. 
I'm going to ask God to remove our shortcomings. That's a tricky one because, you know, the, I want my defects to be removed because I know what the result of them not being removed are, but I can't do it myself. I've got to ask God to do it. I can't, you know, I cannot lie. I can consciously decide to tell the truth, but I can't take the defect of wanting to lie away. God has to do that for me. So that's it, it, a tricky step, and there's a whole... You know, semi-program book just on step six and seven, which I've read, and of course, and uh, uh, and it was very enlightening. Made the list of the people I had harmed, and then became willing to make amends, and then making the amends. Making the amends wasn't as bad as it, it, it you know, you think, only because, or that I thought it would be, I should say, only because uh, I told the truth, and ninety percent of the people were very good about it. Some weren't. Uh, I had to make amends to a uh, very wealthy, very famous person who I had worked with and stolen money from, and he didn't take it very well. Uh, uh, but, you know, he said just, you know, uh, and part of the reason he didn't take it very well is because at the time I made the amends, I couldn't afford to pay the, the whole amount of money back. And uh, he said, so write a check for $10 a month to a particular charity until you pay it off. And I'm happy to tell you that about uh, three weeks ago, and this was about two and a half years ago. About three weeks ago, uh, I made the last payment. So, uh, because faith without works is dead. Faith without action is fantasy. I've got to do what I say I'm going to do or I'm going to eat again. And I'm going to weigh 400 pounds the next time or 500 pounds or die before I get there. You know, I, re- I heard somewhere that everybody gives up their substance. Every addict gives up their substance. It's just nice to be alive when it happens. And I, I would care to live on a little bit anyway, uh, as long as God has for me. Anyway, uh, step 10, continue to take personal inventory. I do a 10th step every night. I, you know, I, I look at my life. I look at the defects, the resentments, the, the things I've done that I'm not proud of. And if I've done something wrong, I do make amends to it right away. I make amends for it right away. Uh, prayer and meditation I'll talk about in a minute and uh, having had a spiritual awakening is the result of these steps the result of these steps not a result the result and the spiritual awakening doesn't say I'm going to be skinny it doesn't say I'm going to lose weight it doesn't say I'm going to be happy it doesn't say I'm going to get what I want it says I'll have a spiritual awakening and the importance of the spiritual awakening is that I get to put God between my disease and my actions and that's all the steps promise me that really is so now here I am I've done the steps now what do I do what's the practical application I want to talk about sober eating because uh, about 18 months ago I heard a gentleman speak he spoke of sober eating and it occurred to me that, you know, we have a, a sort of a unique proposition in the addict world in that we've got to come to terms with our addictive substance. You know, uh, I would guess, and I am by no means an expert on alcoholism or alcoholics or, you know, working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I would guess if you said to an alcoholic that you've got to drink three to five times a day, that what would start out as a thimble would grow into a shot glass and then a tumbler and then a jug and a bathtub. And that's what we have to face with food because we say, okay, I, I want, you know, I, I, I'll eat this. But unless we're very, very, very um, uh, conscious of it, it can grow into all sorts of places. And that's what happened with me. I lost about 100 pounds uh, and... 
uh, I started to not really watch my portion size. And I gained weight. I gained weight in abstinence. I gained weight not eating. And my, and my abstinence consists of a, of a lot of foods, processed sugar, cake, cookies, candies, ice cream, frozen yogurt, frothy coffee drinks, any sugar-free variety of those. I consider that methadone. Banana, pumpkin bread, cornbread, bagels, french fries, uh, honey and other natural sugars, muffins, pretzels, rice, potatoes, pasta, fried foods. I mean, I can keep going. Uh, but, you know, I've got a lot of things that I don't eat. And still not eating them, I was able to gain weight. Because I would let the my mood vary the size and scope and shape of my meals. Seconds, thirds, as long as it was contained, it, it seemed to be okay. Until one day I got on the scale and realized I gained 20 pounds in abstinence. And I, what the heck? What am I supposed to do at this point? So luckily I went to a meeting and I heard this gentleman talk about sober eating. And so now I weigh and measure, and I never thought I would be saying these words, I weigh and measure all of my food. Nothing goes into my mouth that isn't accounted for and then emailed to my food sponsor on a daily basis. Nothing goes into my mouth. Eight ounces of protein. Period. No more. Uh, you know, I have very, very regimented and, se- and, and, and specific meals. And, uh, I, and I, I need to do that because uh, that's, you know, otherwise I would be freelancing and I would be lying to myself because my disease is still back, you know, my disease is still very much a part of me. It's only the, the infusion of God in my life on a daily basis that keeps me from being diseased. I'm only this far, I'm only a, a, an arm's length away from breaking my abstinence. And sometimes not even that. Uh, no calorie counting, no point counting. I weigh once a month, uh, and only because I want to make sure I'm not lying to myself. Uh, and I take care of the fork, and God takes care of the scale. And I've been losing weight at the rate of about uh, an ounce a month, about a pound a month uh, and uh, for the last few months. And, of course, I want it to be more, but I don't get to make that choice. I talk to my food sponsor I have ceded all food decisions to other people I don't make the decisions myself if I need to change what I have said I'm going to eat I call somebody if I if I need if I'm going to eat lunch late and I'm hungry and I want to have my four o'clock fruit snack at one o'clock so that I can eat lunch at three I call somebody I don't take it into my own hands if I can't get someone I don't do it you know I talk I hear people talk a lot about uh, red light and green light uh, and yellow and yellow light foods. Well, I'm from New York, as I've said, and I've never met a yellow light that I didn't speed up and drive right to. <laughs> so I don't have yellow light foods. My my abstinence is you know, the, the 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 gap between what I can eat and what I can eat is wide and obvious. Okay, it's wide and obvious. There's no equivocation. There's no gray area. There's no nibbling around the edges for me. Uh, and uh, there was for two and a half years. So uh, I'm not saying that, and, and stuff, uh, that works for some people. Some people need a kinder, gentler abstinence. I need a firmer, more rigid abstinence because I will lie to myself and I will overeat, even if I don't want to, even if I'm in this program, even if I've got on my side. If I don't watch it, that will happen. The other part of, uh, of sub-reading is that I have to accept reality. I have to live my life by courtroom honesty. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Okay, there, there, you know, it, I've got to know the reality. I can't make things up. 
I can't have expectations of people because expectations are premeditated resentments. And the, the, my serenity is in direct proportion to my expectations. The less expectations I have, the higher my serenity is. I'm a freelance guy in a, in a very difficult business, and I'm, I probably interview for jobs a dozen times a year. And on a good year, I'll get five or six of them. And when I go in for an interview, I do as much research and as much footwork as I can before I go in. I try and know what I'm talking about when I walk in the door. But when I put my hand on the door, I literally stop and I say, okay, God, I've done the footwork. The rest is up to you. Because I can't control the outcome of that meeting. No matter how much I want the job or how much I want to control it, I can't do it. So I put my hand on the door and say, I've done my footwork. The rest is up to you. If I don't get it, yeah, I'm sometimes I'm disappointed. But some days the phone rings the next day, a better job has come along. You know, and it's the same thing with anything else. I talk to people about romance, romantic relationships. This girl said no, or this guy said no. Well, maybe they said no and it saved you a lot of trouble. Or maybe they said no because something better is going to come along tomorrow. No one knows. We can't play God. We can't predict. I, sorry, I should never, never say. I'm out of the should business. I don't tell people what they should and shouldn't do. I tell me, I can tell you what I have done, and I have to stop playing God. Because I can't predict. I don't know what will happen a minute from now or ten minutes from now. Now is the only time I have. And so when I talk about forever tomorrow, I don't live in forever tomorrow anymore. I live in just for today. Just for this moment. This is the only moment I have. If I'm going to do it, I have to do it now. If I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it in ten minutes. I either do it now or it doesn't get done. I do have a prayer, you know, a prayer and meditation. Meditation is hard for me because I have a very active mind uh, and it bounces around. So when I close my eyes and try and concentrate on anything, it's very difficult for me to, you know, you know uh, my, 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 I say my mind is like an electric ping pong, a metal ping pong ball in an electrical storm. I mean, it just bounces all over the place. But I heard in a meeting very recently that when your mind drifts, the whole idea of meditation is to bring your mind back. So maybe I'm not doing it so wrong. So I bring my mind back. I do uh, a, uh, a, a, a what I call a RAD, A-E-I-O-U, every night. I look at my resentments, my, uh, my, any amends I need to make, what defects have come up in my day, what I've eaten, if I've exercised, what I, what I've done for myself, oh, what I've done for others, you, what I've uncovered every night. Now, I would love to tell you that I do all eight letters every night until it's done, but sometimes I fall asleep, and, and that's okay. But because I, the intention is there every night. Every morning I wake up and I read for today. Uh, I read uh, the, 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 uh, um, the little white uh, meditation book. I read On Awakening from the Big Book or another prayer like it, the 11-step prayer and the serenity prayer before I start my day. And then I email my sponsor my food from the day before. So I, I, do, uh, I do have a spiritual practice now. And what that has done is it has placed me, thank you, you thank you guys and thank God it has placed me in a position of neutrality. That's what the book promises. I don't run from food. I, you know, no one can get away from birthday cakes. No one can get away from the, the, the nice, well-intentioned person making zucchini bread and shoving it in your face at work. No one can get away from that sort of stuff. So I don't have to because I just say no thank you. And if they say, why don't you? I say, I'm allergic to sugar. And if they ask again, I tell them I'm in a 12-step program. And I can't eat it. And if they ask another time, I say, stop. I've answered you three times. I really appreciate what you're doing, but I can't have it. So let's not go there. And it's okay. I'm very nice the first three times. The fourth time, 
maybe needs a little work. Uh, but I am placed in a position of neutrality, uh, and uh, and I'm very blessed. I, I've been blessed with uh, with uh, lo- you know lovely people to walk the road with, and uh, uh, you know a, a a good, clean abstinence. A group of men who are very supportive of me uh, in my sober eating you know uh, issues. And a group of uh, and, and a group of everyone in this room and every room I walk into who would do anything to support my recovery. Think about that, because I would do anything to support your recovery. Okay, I would I would stop what I was doing and take your call. I would come to your house and hold your hand. I would do anything I could to support your recovery. And if you're new, a newcomer walks in the room, I'll do anything I can to try and explain what I ha- the program as I understand it. And that's where I get back from everybody. The last thing I want to talk about is service because we have to, I have to get out of my head because my head, as we've discussed, it's a very busy place. And the way that I do that is by giving back, is by trying to be a service at meetings, you know, on the, you know, uh, on the uh, you know, regional level and on the uh, intergroup level, and one-on-one. I just try and give back as much as I can. I, I don't, you know, there are times when I say, geez, I'm in the middle of something, can I call you back? And, and occasionally I do. But, uh, you know, uh, but I try my best to give of myself and not to think only of myself. And all of these things have combined into making me, in my view, a much happier, more serene, easier to get along with person who can now buy clothes at a regular department store. I have lost 16 inches off my waist. Uh, but I said when I first started, my goal was to buy pants at Costco. Not that Costco has such great pants, but it meant that I was, that I was you know, one among many as opposed to one outside of many. And that's really what the program has given me. I no longer have to be special. I no longer have to run the show. I no longer have to be the center of attention. I can be, you know, I, I can be who I am. I can be honest and truthful, and I can uh, try and be as loving as I can. And it, it works if you work it. And I thank you for... Spending the time with me.